If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out GuardianVets.com now. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. We're going to hit our sponsors here in just a second, then jump into the episode. But before we do, make sure you stick around throughout the end of the interview and check out the show notes for great opportunities for associateships, partnerships, and more. If you're a practice owner, you want to find great people, and you want to list a job opportunity or just looking for certain things that your peers out there that are veterinarians could benefit from, feel free to shoot me an email. Isaiah at veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. I will do my best to get those up at the end of different episodes. There's no charge for that. My role, my job is to connect good people with good people. So with that, we will hit our sponsors and be right into the interview. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. Why do most banks always seem to be impersonal, slow to answer questions, or give you the runaround on getting money needed for your dreams? Enter Panacea Financial. Panacea Financial, a nationwide digital bank built for doctors by doctors. Whether you're a veterinarian in training, practice owner, or aspire to be one, someday, Panacea Financial is designed specifically for you. It was started by two doctors who were frustrated in working with banks and so started their own to serve their community. With common sense lending guidelines and fast decisioning, they have helped doctors all across the country start, grow, and acquire their dream practice. Looking to buy into a practice? Panacea helps doctors with practice buy-in loans that are funded in a matter of days, not weeks or months. If you're ready to join the thousands of doctors nationwide who have declared independence from traditional banks, visit panaceafinancial.com today to see how they can get you started with your dreams. Panacea Financial is a division of Premise, member FDIC. Have you ever walked into a space and thought, wow, this is beautiful? There's a reason for that. Architecture has this innate ability to impact emotions and perceptions. My friends at Apex Design Build bring beautiful and functional spaces for veterinarians nationwide. Apex is a fourth generation family run company that is fully integrated from the design, architecture, and construction process. They help you mitigate risks, eliminate surprises, save money, save time, and reduce the effort on your project. Check out their amazing work and have access to their square footage calculator to help you plan your expansion or new build. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer and learn more about Apex Design Build. Finding a job or finding a veterinarian shouldn't be a waste of time. Enter an offer first. Paul Diaz and team have created something really special with offer first. Some of my favorite reasons are as follows. Candidates and employers will both have values aligned on the first step, not the last. The sign-up process, quick and simple, no resume required. So if you're looking for a job, but you aren't really sure, it's as easy as scrolling on Zillow for a home. And finally, if you have a great match, it's based on your each unique requirements, not random keywords. If you want to learn more, listen to episode 179 with Paul Diaz. We cover all of that. The other exclusive great thing that you're going to get from this ad read and from Paul is I convinced him to give an exclusive discount to listeners of this podcast. So for owners, you're getting a 20% discount on both the placement of any candidate, but also access to the platform. Use VSP if you go to offer first, or the easiest way is a link in the show notes. So check it out. Associates, those looking for a job, same thing. Use the link in the show notes. Use VSP if you go directly to offer first. But I will donate and Paul will donate to a veterinary nonprofit of your choosing. So each person that signs up gets a vote. Your votes actually count, which is incredible. And so I'll be reaching out. I will handle that. But there's going to be a donation made for any associate or any job seeker that adds on the platform. We want to make sure that not only does the platform help to make sure that you find a better fit, better culture, better role, but it's also doing good in veterinary medicine. Okay, so 
link in the show notes going to take you to offer first. It's going to automatically apply that, but also use code VSP if you go to offer first directly. And offer first is changing the game of veterinary recruiting. I want each and every one of you to benefit from it. So check them out today. All right. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Happy to be rejoined by Dr. Meredith Jones, Dr. Ryan Koopmans. They are both financial planners and advisors at Vincere Wealth and do an awesome job working with their peers around veterinary medicine. And today we're going to go into a specific topic that I want to give credit to Meredith because I think you're the one, Meredith, that brought it up. Or is it Ryan? I'm already making mistakes. Dang, Ryan was the one that brought it up. So I failed. We're not editing this out. We'll leave it in. But it's the idea of veterinarians in selecting their jobs. So one cool thing is you both have non-traditional veterinary jobs at the moment, which is kind of cool. And you've made those selections. But why do most veterinarians stink when it comes to picking and understanding what's a good role? What's a good job? And Ryan, since it is your topic, I've been corrected. You want to go first and kind of outline some thoughts from things that you've seen? Yeah, I think we'll go back and forth between a few ideas and thoughts on why veterinarians stink at selecting a job. But I think one of the big things we have to be aware of is how big of a decision it is. And that's where we got to start at is that we spend somewhere between 30 and 50 hours a week at our job. Now we can get out of that job if we want to sometimes, sometimes we cannot, but it's a pretty important decision. I mean, you spent 18 to 22 years of your life getting ready for it educationally, personally, professionally. I think we got to spend enough time to properly vet. Thanks for the pun. You're welcome. The job we're going to get into, right? It's important, especially our first one. That first job is probably one of the most important decisions you have in your life as far as your veterinary career, because it will set you up either good, bad, or indifferent. So I want to go through some different topics with Meredith and I have a few few questions here for you too, Isaiah, but I think it's a good topic. Hopefully it's helpful, but Meredith, if you just want to go ahead and give me your kind of first thing that you look at. Yeah. So first thing, since you had talked about first jobs. I think if you are a new grad or if you're a recent grad, one of the most important things is mentorship. So I run the Debt-Free Vets Facebook group and I see a lot of questions about contracts and a lot of those questions focus around the salary or around some of the numbers and the contract. And of course, those are important things to nail down and understand. But when it's your first job or if it's a your second job, mentorship really matters. And professional growth throughout your career makes a huge difference. And as Ryan was saying, I mean, you spend a large chunk of your life, large chunk of your time at work. And so it really matters who you're spending that time with. And so just focusing on the salary and the contract and neglecting to focus on the people aspects of finding a job can really potentially put you in a bad spot. And just knowing that culture of the practice and those people aspects can really make or break your experience in that job. Yeah. The mentorship to one for me, I think is really interesting because it means different things to different people, right? We need to make sure we're talking about That's what I wanted to ask is how would you define mentorship? Because I think going back to my approach is, I don't know where on the bell curve I fall, but I'll take the left side sometimes and say like, what the heck does it actually mean? We keep saying it, right? What does mentorship look like that is good? And then you can be like, well, what's good? But what is mentorship? So let's start there. How would you each define it? For me, again, I think different things to different people. So I would say, know thyself. How do you learn best? Is it from one person teaching you everything and you see, do, teach type thing? Or is it hey, you're just watching someone walk around for six months as far as seeing appointments, surgeries, whatever it may be. So you really need to understand what is it that you feel you need to get to that next step to where you're comfortable and you can practice the way you want to practice. So this is where if you have a mentorship where ask them, hey, who's doing the mentorship? Is it one doctor? Is it three doctors? Am I going to different practices? If you get stuck with one doctor that maybe you don't mess well personally or As far as medicine or surgery goes and you disagree, well, that may not be the greatest option for you to continue for the next year. So I don't think there's one definition for it. Everybody learns differently. Everybody feels differently as far as what they need to get better. And so I think you need to really look internally and decide, like, hey, 
what is it that I need? And then go out and make sure that one, that's what you're getting. And two, that you, person that's giving it to you is just as bought in as you are. Yeah, agreed. And one of the things that I talk to people about when they're looking for a job and comparing job offers is, and one of the things to take away from this is really you should be spending more time in the practices that you're considering. And so that's going to be one takeaway from this. But on the mentorship aspect, specific examples. So talking to them about, okay, what exactly are you planning to do to help me get up to speed on surgery? And if the answer to that is that you're going to do the see one, do one, teach one type of thing, and that's what you're looking for, great. If the answer is, well, the way I learned it is I just opened up a book, well, that tells you something about what the mentorship is going to be like at the practice. And so I think specific examples, how are you going to get up to speed on extracting teeth if you're in GP? How are you going to get up to speed on emergency procedures if you're working ER? So just getting very specific and a little bit more granular about those things. And then what is scheduling going to look like for you if you're a GP? Then are you going to be seeing cases solo from day one? Are you going to be seeing cases kind of paired with someone else? The same thing can happen in ER as well. But then if you're in a practice with, hopefully you're in a practice with more than one doctor, if you're just starting out and I'm seeing new grads get offers and consider accepting offers where they're going to be the solo doctor in a practice and they're going to have no mentorship or have somebody visit once a week to do some mentoring here and there, maybe not the best situation. But what is the scheduling going to look like? Is the person who's supposed to be mentoring you going to be double and triple booked up for their own appointments and not have time to help you with questions? Or is it going to be they're running parallel with you and they're seeing their own appointments, you're seeing your own appointments, and you can ask questions as needed? Or are they going to be with you? And so different people want different things from that aspect, but just getting a little bit more specific can help you figure out really what you want and what's available to you. And has someone else gone through that mentorship program before? And can you chat with them? Can you chat with that mentor outside of the practice? Yes. <laughs> There's so many conversations I've seen so many times where vets come into the practice, they're there for two hours, and then I see them next week and they're starting at the job. You've got to chat with people outside of the hospital setting. That includes managers, that includes other veterinarians, front desk, techs. Ask them for their number. Hey, you know, you mind if I call you later and so I can chat about some things? I'm just curious about a couple other things about the practice. And then, yes, go to the practice, spend a few shifts there, ask questions. If they can't answer your questions, whether it's HR, veterinary, whatever it may be, during a interview type process, how are they going to be when you actually accept a job offer, right? So there's a lot of ducks you got to get in a row to make sure you're making a good decision there. And so two hours of a walk through the hospital and meet and greet, most of the time it's not going to do it. You got to spend your time. Yeah, exactly. And then another thing that I've seen is, okay, if you think about it, when is a practice going to bring you in for those two hours? They're going to choose a time when the practice is less busy right? And so if you're not spending enough time in the practice and you're only seeing what it looks like on perhaps a day that is less busy, that's not going to give you a good sense of what to expect. And so I think spending more time in the practice and actually seeing, so if you're a GP trying to find a position, then go see what a Saturday looks like for them. Go see what a Monday looks like for them. Don't just see them on a Wednesday or Thursday when they're most likely to bring you in for an interview. And the same thing with an ER practice. Go see what a Sunday looks like and you're going to get a better idea of what it's like to work there than if you just come in on a Wednesday morning. You talked about wanting to chat with people outside of work. What about, do you think it's fair to ask for, hey, have there been other associates that have worked here that it hasn't worked out and asking to talk to them? or trying to seek them out? Is that a fair request? Or is that something that you would try to figure out a way to connect those people outside of the formal conversations with that hospital? I would try to connect with them outside of the hospital. You can do a lot of research on LinkedIn. You can also take a look at the reviews. Of course, they'll be anonymous, but reviews on Glassdoor 
and take a look at what people say and you learn from the positives and the negatives. Some people complain about things that wouldn't be a problem for me, for example. And so you can learn those things and they'll tell you what the management is like. And I think especially for corporate practices, I think looking at Glassdoor can be really helpful because, I mean, there's going to be more people out there who have worked for a corporation than an independent hospital, so you'll have more information to pull from. And then another thing, if it's a corporate practice, is just contact everybody you know who has worked there and uh, try to get on a call with them or chat with them and figure out what things look like. Looking at the Google reviews is another idea so that you can see, and that, of course, is applicable to any practice. Take a look at the Google reviews. What are the clients saying about their experience at the practice? And sometimes the negative reviews and positive reviews will tell you something. And of course, you're going to have folks who complain about things that don't make sense, and you can just kind of discount that. But if there are constant negatives about their experience as a client, then you can take that into account as you're making decisions. I think it's absolutely fair to ask, but knowing that it's absolutely okay if you don't get the number and the contact, because how does that person react? Do they squirm? Do they backtrack? Does it take them 10 minutes to get to an answer of, no, I don't want to give you this contact person because maybe it's a negative culture fit and they don't want you to hear that information? I think it can be a light of what the practice is, depending on how that person answers, for sure. Yeah. And there's going to be certain practices that you might fit perfectly in and someone else just was the issue, literally, and they had to leave. And so I think that's fair. And so answering when and why a certain role didn't work out or didn't pan out, I think is a request that you should ask for anyone that's hiring you. Like, hey, who hasn't worked here? You hired them, didn't work out, they left. What was the reason? How did that all transpire? And that I think gives you a really good idea from that standpoint. We're talking about maybe little new grad. What about an experienced DVM veterinarian been around? They've done, they know who they are. They don't necessarily need the mentorship. How do they evaluate the job offers? How do they say, okay, this is what the market is willing to pay me. This is a good offer. Would you change anything? Adjust what your advice and guidance would be? I think not a whole lot. I mean, you're probably looking at the, I think we'll get into benefits and salary and that sort of thing, but I think it's prioritizing what is most important to you. And we talk about, well, hey, commute matters. Your salary, your whole benefits picture matters. The people you work with matters. What's your schedule look like? What things are you looking for and what is the most important? It is absolutely not going to be the same between all practices. So assign a true priority to those things and it helps you try to compare practices apples to apples. And ultimately, yeah, go get after a few relief shifts with them too. And Maybe they don't know that you're looking to find a full-time job. You're just filling some relief shifts and you figure out, hey, you like the practice. Let's see how this works out. So I think a little bit different, but for the most part, pretty similar. What do you think, Meredith? Yeah. And that's another thing is you can also, when you're looking at job offers and opportunities, you can talk to relief vets who have worked shifts there. Because, I mean, when they're working shifts there as a relief vet, people are not necessarily on their best behavior like they're going to be when you're there for an interview. So that's something to take a look at. And, yeah, of course, doing some relief shifts there on your own or coming in for a working interview. And don't be afraid to ask pointed questions, because if you're an experienced vet, you probably have a pretty good idea of what you're looking for. And it's not rude to ask very specific and sometimes pointed questions to people because it's really just part of your due diligence with looking for a job. Yeah. And I shout out to Cindy Trice from Relief Rover. I mean, that was one of the things that she talked about in in our interview was how do people utilize their services? And one of them is absolutely to shop for that full-time position because you don't have to announce that that's what you're doing, but you get to see reality, right? You don't get to see people when everything is, hey, someone's coming in today to look for position. It's we're trying to get through the day and you can really see the characters and personalities there much better. So I love that idea. I think as far as chatting with other veterinarians at the practice, I think is very, very important. I mean, sometimes you'll get cultures where people are very tied to their own clients and get very concerned when new veterinarians come in and can create a very awkward and weird dynamic when people are paid on production. And so trying to understand how great of a team atmosphere it is. And I think you can do that pretty quickly when you have outside conversations with veterinarians. I think the other thing is 
for you to think about benefits. Maybe you're married now, you have kids, and the benefits are even more important than they were when you're a new grad. I'm curious what your guys' answers on this are. What are the most important benefits, do you think, as you start versus getting into kind of advanced career? What are things like, hey, I need to have this? Obviously, it's going to be different for everybody, but I got three or four on my list that I think are very important. I'm curious what you guys think, too. I would just say, let's go through your list, Ryan, and then we'll we'll add if there's anything that's missing. Okay. Healthcare is a big one, right? I think the most common reason why people go into bankruptcy is not having healthcare. And so looking at, make sure we're comparing different healthcare options, whether it's PPO, HMO, HSA plan. I mean, those things truly matter. A healthcare option that you have an opportunity for an HSA plan potentially has hundreds of thousands of dollars of difference between job A and job B if one has one and one doesn't. Now, is that going to be the only reason you choose a job versus another? Probably not. But if you're looking at things, that's something to maybe consider and think about. Salary is obviously a big one. Let me just make sure we're comparing what a sign-on, what a retention, what's your production, what's your true base salary. Make sure you're actually comparing apples to apples on all of those things. I think long-term disability is a really important one too. You can get that in healthcare outside of your job, but I think it just makes it more efficient and generally cheaper on you to do so. There's some nuance to that certainly, but for me, those are kind of the three or four big ones that I look at. There's all kinds of other ones that I think are less important, but what do you guys think? Yeah. So a couple of things to add to that, having paid time off that is actually truly paid time off is a big one because really a lot of practices give actually Dave Nickel, who calls it more allowed time off, where you're not truly getting paid for it. They just let you take off some days, meaning that it's just kind of so a lot of vets who are paid on salary, it ends up being this way. Some vets who are paid on production with a negative accrual component to it are actually just having allowed time off. Negative accrual being that if you don't produce enough in a certain time frame to really justify your salary, you end up having to make more production later before you're eligible for a production check. And so that's something else to take a look at. Ideally, you would not have a negative accrual component to your contract and have to worry about that. So truly paid time off. Another thing that a lot of vets could probably negotiate better is a continuing education. So CE money, if you have a practice that's only offering, say, $1,500 or $2,000 for continuing education, that's probably not going to be enough for you to actually take a full trip out of state and get on a plane, pay for your hotel, pay for your registration. And it's certainly not going to be enough for you to take any kind of advanced training like an advanced surgery course or dental course or ultrasound course. And so taking that into account, I'm seeing some vets get maybe up to $4,000 for CE these days if they're negotiating for it. The default right now is probably somewhere around 2000 or 2500 And so a lot of people could negotiate that a bit. And I've got some more kind of intangible things, but want to see if Isaiah's got anything to add before we talk about those. If you can improve the health of an animal, you do it, right? Of course. That's what makes veterinarian special. You're mission driven. My friends at LifeLearn are the exact same way. For over 25 years, they've been partnering with you and your peers, providing affordable, customizable online software solutions. These solutions save time, increase efficiency, and assist in managing all aspects of operations. Why? They want to help you improve your partnership with pet owners to improve pet health. LifeLearn has award-winning digital media solutions and are leading the pack as they've prioritized having extensive veterinary knowledge throughout their teams. That difference is seen, it's heard, and it's read by thousands of people across the country. Relax, grow, and thrive with LifeLearn. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer to see how LifeLearn can allow you to get back to what you do best. 
I'm curious just on compensation, how you weigh the pros and cons of different structures and how you would kind of advise someone to think about that. Any thoughts? Because to me, that that is obviously a big one, right? No matter what all the other things are, finances are a big stress, whether you're married, single individual, right? Student loan payments, turning back on, all these different things happening. People have to understand what do I make versus what do I spend and what's left? And so there's obviously a huge component there. I've been pretty verbal about what I prefer, but I'm curious how you all would evaluate an offer based on compensation or how to look at it in a way that is more objective than just number bigger here, number smaller here. So I think the right answer is to look at everything else and make sure that fits. The culture fits, the other benefits fit, the schedule fits, the commute fits, the people fit. If that works and you feel like it, 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 you're in a good spot, you've done relief shifts there, don't make that number matter as much as you think it does. Because your fit and your time and how you spend it is going to be worth more than 10, 15, 20,000 bucks, probably 50,000 bucks. Because if you find that spot that, hey, I'm good for 10, 15, 20 years, you love going to work versus, hey, I found this number that's 50 to 100,000 more than this other one. There's a reason why they're offering you that huge numbers because they can't get anybody to stay there longer than six months. So I look at it from the opposite route. For the most part, you're going to likely get a market rate salary. It's not going to be super crazy unless Heather having troubles finding someone for that position, then you need to look long and hard about it. If you're in a more rural area, maybe it's a little bit harder to come up with salary numbers that are more consistent and fair as far as other suburban areas. When you're comparing salary numbers, I think it goes well beyond the actual number there. So I didn't answer your question at all, but I wouldn't even look at it that way. No, you answered it. It's just when someone asks about an opinion on a certain stock to us, sometimes like, well, this and this, and it's like, there's all these other things that are way more important than that. So I think you answered it. Yeah. And to add to that, really, there's a lot of kind of tunnel vision looking at the base salary. The base salary, even if you're looking just from a numbers perspective, the base salary doesn't mean a whole lot. And the reason is because if you're on salary plus production, what's going to make the difference in your overall compensation and the bottom line is really, okay, how does that practice attract clients to it? How do they utilize their technicians? Are they utilizing them at or near the top of their license and what they can do? Or are you as a doctor, the one placing the catheters and doing the dentals and you know doing things that a technician has been trained to do and also practice efficiency as well. So if you've got a practice that is utilizing their techs well, is efficient and actually has systems set up for you where it's a little bit easier to do your records and you know, some of the things that we get bogged down with as doctors, not only are you going to be happier, but it's likely that all of that and the good culture of the practice and all of those positive things, it's likely that at the end of the day, it's going to affect your total compensation. It's going to affect it either in a positive way or a negative way. And so if things are going well at a practice and you're able to actually produce more because that practice is run more efficiently, you're going to be making more. So you could have the same offer. Say somebody offers you 110 plus production and another is offering 120 plus production, but the practice that has 110, gosh, they're utilizing their techs well and everyone works well together. You're probably at the end of the day going to be making more. Not that that's the most important thing because Ryan, to your point, I fully agree. It's not the most important thing, but even looking at it from a numbers aspect, there's a lot more nuance there. Yeah. I think the tools and technology is huge, right? That idea of what are they using? I would ask some of the different tools you've used in the past, if you're like, I hate this system and they're using that system and you already know that that's going to be a huge burden for you to be efficient, doesn't matter, right? Especially if you're getting paid in production. I think that's a huge area to circle and understand, okay, or ask, you're using X. I don't like X, but oh, we're going to move to something else. Okay, well, there's all kinds of promises that can get made to get you to sign an agreement. But I think it's important to verbalize that too, of like, hey, I want this tool or this tool because it's made me efficient other places. Or, hey, when I was a relief doctor, I saw this and it was fantastic. I want to find a practice that's doing that. And I think you can bring that to the table as well. So Meredith, I think that's an awesome point. 
I think you can ask for production statements and you don't need to get names and information on that, but that'll help you kind of break down, well, hey, what's an average month? And you can compare several different doctors and and the owner, get an idea of what it actually looks like so you know what you're getting into. Because, yeah, I mean, some practices you might make 10 to 25% more on production than you would just on your basic salary. And some practices, hey, it's just going to be salary. Even though you're paid on production, you're never going to get a production because that's just the way the practice has gone. Like You have to know the difference between those two. Things. Would you ask about for new patients and clients, how that they are assigned and how that works if someone calls in and they want to get an appointment in? Who is getting that if you aren't stretched the match max? Okay, the last handful of years, it's just been everyone's super busy and it's crazy and things are booming. Well, let's say that changes. If the person up front has a relationship that's better with Meredith and Isaiah and she's getting all the new stuff and I'm not because I'm the new person and I haven't spent the time or have that luxury to build that interpersonal relationship, that can affect it as well. So I would ask, how are those decisions made? Who derives that? Because especially if you're going to get paid on anything with the result of who you see from a production perspective, I think that's huge. And I would kind of ask for what's the policy or stance on that. I love that question because I was in that a couple of different times in my first couple of jobs where people, veterinarians had been there for anywhere from 15 to 20 years. And I'm the new guy walking in and everybody wants to see them, right? So that's really, really tough to understand and see what that's going to look like, especially if you're on production and you're going to get hit by it. And so having that clear cut answer of what how that looks is very, very good point. Yeah. And the answer to that question tells you a lot about the culture of the practice as well. And then another thing to think about if you're just joining a practice as the, the newest doctor in the practice is communicating with those folks and making sure that they know what your interests are and what your niche is. I don't know if this is true, but if if it goes around at a practice that Ryan's the new doctor there and he loves cats, then, okay, that's going to help you get certain cases. Or if you have a doctor who loves dentals, okay, that's going to be one that maybe we're going to schedule more dentals with if it's a new client and that's their primary concern. So things like that, I think can also help you get better results as a new vet in the practice. I was just going to ask, what haven't we talked about or asked about yet that you think is an important element? Because I do have a question and Ryan, you might've tipped your hand a little bit for this, but I want to ask a question to both of you at the conclusion of that. Okay. I think the other thing is contracts and you feel comfortable and you're ready to really negotiate, I think is where we should head next here. You have a lot of negotiating power. We talked about all this time, money, and effort you've spent to get here you should also likely spend that time, money, and effort on the contract and what you are signing. So use a professional likely to go over that contract, especially if you're looking at sign-on bonuses, on-competes, and we'll get into that one here too, probably. All these different things that can restrict your freedoms. You just spent likely well over $100,000 on your degree. You can probably either spend the time to have someone help you look at your contract or spend a thousand bucks, couple thousand bucks. There's plenty of people out there that'll do it for free for you to help you look at your contract to know what you are getting into. It can be very restrictive. If you do not know what you're looking at, one sentence, one word can completely change that contract in your life. So spend the few thousand bucks or few hours or time with somebody to really, really iron out all the details of it. And again, if your priorities are hey, I want the high CE balance. I want this schedule. Salary is not as important to you. Well, alter that on the offer and negotiate for what you want on that. Because they are likely, hey, I'll work a Saturday or two here and I want a higher CE bonus or whatever it may mean. Just find out what you want and you can likely negotiate it and get it for it. I think I heard some stats the other day, somewhere around 80, 90%, if you actually just ask for it, you're likely going to get it 80 to 90% of the time to ask for it. If you deserve it. You worked really hard. Just don't be shy about asking for it. You'll probably get it. So I have to make a little joke here because Ryan is in California in the Bay Area, and he just said something about <laughs> thousands being spent to negotiate a contract and meet with a professional. Sometimes it's hundreds of dollars, and you can get an attorney to review that contract. Touche. Still it's worth it either way. Tax. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's worth it either tax. way. Yeah. 
Yeah. Percentage wise, <laughs> it's probably the same. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. But definitely agree that knowing what you're looking for and also taking into account, okay, what's the schedule going to be? And what's the flexibility look like with that? And what type of caseload are you going to have? Are you going to be just churning through appointments every 15 minutes as a GP? Or are you going to have for sick patients a longer period of time to be able to actually work those cases up? And so those are also really important elements when you're looking. And really, one of the biggest stressors for vets in general is scheduling. And so getting a better idea and you can get an idea when you're talking with other associates who work at or have worked at the practice is, okay, what does that really look like? And so if you're a GP, okay, what happens when the practice closes at 5 p.m. and somebody calls at 445? And is the answer to that question what you're looking for? And not saying that one answer is better than another, but is it what you're looking for if they say, hey, yes, fit that case in or hey, no, go to the emergency clinic. So looking at that, and then ER certainly is, it's unpredictable, but having an idea of, okay, when is there overlap between the doctors on the floor? And when do rounds happen after the end of your shift? Usually the answer is yes, but just knowing what that really looks like going in. I think that makes total sense. If you think about the way that you've accepted previous jobs, is there an example of an oversight or what you might call a learning lesson or a mistake that you would be willing to share that you can think of that would be wise words for those listening? I don't know if I shared it. My wife is a veterinarian too. I'm not going to call her out too much here. It's probably a little bit. She won't listen anyway, so it's fine. Yeah, she probably won't. (laughs) The most recent one was schedule. She was working Monday through Thursdays and Somebody asked, well, hey, will you do Saturdays? And initially she was like, no, I want to work Monday through Thursdays. And she eventually caved and said, yes, I'll do some Saturdays when I'm available. And then the practice takes that as, yep, I'm going to put you on one to two Saturdays a month and just go from there. So this is where contract matters. Your schedule matters. If that's what you want and that's what you signed up for, make sure it's in your contract because they will try to alter and change those things. If you have it in the contract, that's everyone's got a clear set of expectations. That's what it is. And you're not really altering from it. Uh, she will go nameless, but she's my wife. So you can probably figure out who that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's really a big one is having that outlined in the contract. And then from the ER perspective, okay, is it outlined in the contract once you go beyond a certain number of shifts that you're going to get paid extra? And so not every ER actually includes that, that shift number in the contract. And so making sure that that's in there and making sure that you're not going to be in a huge mess if one or two doctors leave the practice and they're just all of a sudden going to expect you to work extra for maybe hopefully a little bit more production. But just knowing that there's a limit and there's an expectation for what those shifts are going to look like. And so that's really important. Another thing that I've seen come up, and this, of course, goes back to the people aspect, is I've had often it's new grads or recent grads who maybe haven't learned this lesson yet, but they're comparing job offers. And maybe it's like what I had talked about before, where there's a 110 base salary and a 120 base salary. And they're telling me that the practices otherwise are exactly the same. (laughs) And it's like, okay, that is a red flag for me that they haven't spent enough time in the practice. Because if you think about it, people can make a huge, huge difference. So if you think about from an ER perspective, okay, if I was working a shift with my best tech, right, we had a great day. Maybe it was a hard day, but we got through it. We got all the work done. We helped a lot of people and we helped a lot of pets. Okay, that's a good day. You could have at the same practice, a tech fresh out of school, everything hits the fan, multiple cases come in and working that shift is very difficult and it's a hot mess. So if you can have the same practice and vastly different experiences, depending on who's working, don't tell me that two practices are going to be the same. 
you've really got to do some due diligence. And we talk about investing, of course, on this podcast as well. And we talk about not investing in something that you don't understand. For me, if you're not doing the homework that we've talked about throughout this episode, then you're actually putting your time and your life into a job without doing that due diligence and actually making a decision without understanding enough about the impact that it's going to have ultimately on your life. That's a fantastic metaphor. And I did want to get to, before we end, like, what if you've done your due diligence or maybe you haven't and we get to the point where, hey, it's just time to go, time to separate. What do you kind of think about as far as ending that job? How do you do so? Where do you go from there? Thoughts on that? That's going to look different depending on what you signed up for. And that's another reason to make sure that you're understanding, okay, hopefully you can avoid a non-compete. There are regions in the U.S. where you may not be able to avoid a non-compete. I hope that that is not the case forever. But what does that non-compete look like? And figuring out and actually mapping out, okay, what are the consequences going to be of me leaving this place? And does it mean uprooting your family? Does it mean having a long commute? And there have been some situations where vets have decided to stay where they are and, and try to see if they can make a difference at that practice and make the experience better for themselves rather than leaving. So that's one component of it. And then also just in general, if you can make sure that you've got an emergency fund set up, or I like the concept of an opportunity fund. So if you've got your emergency fund, okay, for people to have three to six months of expenses, but an opportunity fund so that you've got enough money so that if you got to a point where you just had to leave, you would be able to do that because you've got some buffer and you've got some time because of that kind of energy that you've stored by saving that money. You've got some time to be able to find another position. So I, I think that's another component of it. What else to add, Isaiah? I was just going to say, we've brought up signing bonuses and non-competes. Non-competes have been talked about lots in the podcast, so I can reference those episodes for people that want to dive down that rabbit hole. I think there's people that have talked about it at length. The signing bonus, we did another episode with us together of talking about our signing bonuses, the new non-compete. I think we went deeper into that. So I didn't want to necessarily rehash that conversation. But for someone that maybe hasn't listened to that episode, I'll reference back to that. I don't have the show number in front of me. So failure on my end. But there is another one with Meredith and Ryan going through that in more depth. But yeah, I mean, that med is a small industry. So your reputation is everything. And so the way that you handle yourself, whether you leave, you stay, whatever you do, just do it with professionalism and grace. And if other people want to make a fool of themselves and look like an a-hole, let them. And that is probably reaffirming your decision. And there can be certain times where you really want to say what you want to say, but you have to just bury it, bite your tongue. And you know what? That's part of being an adult and it sucks. I get it, but you just got to move on. And you got to think about what is it that you truly want? What is it that you're passionate about? And what's the calling that you want to have? And if your love and passion for veterinary medicine is getting zapped because you're working for someone that's horrible, you got to leave. It's not fair to you. It's not fair to the pets. You see, it's not, it just isn't fair to anyone at that point. And you know, we talked about it a lot before. Money is, you can go find more money. And being a relief vet today, you can do really well. You can do lots of different things. It can be inconvenient. And I think that's the part that stinks, even if it's not your fault, even if there's unmet promises. And let's say there is one of those pesky non-competes. That's not your fault that someone else didn't do that. And then they've kind of handcuffed you. You just have to understand that today you can still make it work. And I think there's lots of your peers you can have conversations with, but the ability to go find relief work and maybe it is a little farther than you want and maybe it's a temporary thing, but use that as the motivation to think through and really come back and reflect on what did I miss? What can I learn from this? And then how do I not get myself in the same spot? I think ultimately that's the key thing, right? Because there is such a demand for veterinary care and great veterinarians. And we all would agree we don't want to see those folks leave the industry. So we got to find a way to continue to encourage, but also just not put up with BS if it's there and you've been pushed to the point where you know it's time, another quarter, another month, it ain't changing, right? Once you know, you got to go. So be strategic. Think about it. I love the opportunity fund idea. Maybe it's stashing away a little bit from a production bonus that you get hit and you're like, oh, I really wanted to take that trip to Hawaii or I want to do this other thing, but I'm going to stash that because I think I'm getting close to where it's getting bad enough that I need to leave. I think we've talked about this before, at least I, I 
having that realistic optimism about the practice where you want to believe all the good things, but you have to know what if it goes poorly, what is your out? Is it easy? Is it difficult? Is it at will? Who knows? But you should know it before you sign. So you have that expectation where, hey, if it's six months and I still have to wait another year and a half or I have to pay back 50 to 100,000 bucks, you should know that before you go into it. It will help you out immensely. Closing thoughts, things that you want to ensure that you kind of put a stamp on this episode with? So we've talked for almost an hour about all this stuff. So you know that you should probably spend more than an hour at the practice conversing with people, talking with people. It might take you three, four weeks to get all the information that you need on the practice. You're still not going to have all of it, right? It's okay. There's going to be a leap, leap of faith to some degree. But do the due diligence if you need. The other thing I was going to mention, we should all have mentors, right? Even if you've been out in veterinary practice for 10 years, there's going to be someone that's been out and done a heck of a lot more than you have. Go talk to them. Run through all the information with them. Make sure they feel like, hey, this feels like a good thing for you too. So have other people in your corner, bounce ideas off of, do the work, spend the time. Those are my biggest recommendations. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some people, Ryan, probably spend more time researching a vacation than they do actually figuring out where they want to work. So that's, yeah. It could be one of those too. Yeah. How many good Yelp reviews for food? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And for me, the thought that I would leave with is that it's unlikely you'll find a sustainable job by having tunnel vision and just looking at the base salary or just looking at a sign-on bonus. And the people components of a job are much more important. I love that. And the people make any job, whether it's in vet med or outside of it. And so if you have quality people and maybe the job does kind of suck, right? The people can make it more cool. Or you could have the coolest job that's like, oh, this job description, if I could have wrote it myself, it's perfect. But you work with people that treat you like garbage. I'll tell you, even if the job is cool and the people treat you like garbage, you won't be there long. So veterinary medicine, along with other things, it is a people profession. And and I hear people all the time say, well, I got into this because I don't like people and I like animals, right? I think that's a a damaging thing to say. And I think it's not a wise thing to say because you are spending so much time with people because A, they're in the business and a lot of those pets have people that bring them in. So you're gonna have to deal with them too. So yeah, but I love the idea of the vacation piece. So don't spend more time planning your vacation than what your job is, right? And if you have a job that you enjoy, the vacation is there as something that you can enjoy, relax, recharge, but not, I got to get to my vacation to get away from this thing. And there's a big difference between those two. And so, yeah, I appreciate y'all's thoughts. This has been super. And any spot to hand it off, people reach out, chat, go through things. Where do people reach out to either of you? Ryan, you want to go first? Yeah. So if you have questions about it, happy to help. Um, There are probably others better at looking at contracts than I am, but I can help with the basic stuff. But just bounce ideas off of, happy to help, ryan at vincierwealth.com. Yeah, also happy to chat through any questions that you have. And my email is meredith at vincierwealth.com and it'll be in the show notes. Perfect. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So there are a lot of great job postings that I want to get to. And so we're going to start off with Bayside Hospital for Animals. Great work-life balance in beautiful Fort Walton Beach, Florida. No weekends, Monday to Friday, eight to five, no on-call or emergencies. It's appointment only here. Currently a two and a half doctor practice, new owner in 2021, bringing some fresh life into the hospital. The new owner had been there for six years prior working, so definitely understands the team, the processes in the community. Lots of investment in people and new equipment. ProSal is the pay structure Far too many benefits for me to list. Email BaysideVet251 at Yahoo or call 850-864-1857. Join a thriving, growing, small animal practice in Vermont on the Quebec border. Full-time, ideal, part-time is considered. The idea is to start with yes with the team, patients and clients in outdoor woman's paradise while uh, being able to practice high-quality medicine. Compensation is write your own structure within production capabilities. Literally, it is the owner wants to find the right person and is happy to negotiate, chat through, and find the right fit. 
If you want autonomy and a boss that enjoys teaching, reach out to Newport Veterinary Hospital. You can email newportveterinaryhospital at gmail.com. North Central Indiana, looking for an oasis in the chaos? Who isn't, right? Come join the amazing team at Fulton County Veterinary Clinic. They strive to foster a fun, fast-paced work environment while providing quality patient care. They utilize the support staff efficiently so that the doctor is available to practice medicine and do what you're trained to do in less time and paperwork, which is great. Lots of investment in new equipment and technology to support you, full-time or part-time available. Small animal and exotics are both seen there, so no ER, no on-call, no weekends, competitive salary with sign-on bonus offered, and far too many benefits to list. Go to Fulton County Veterinary Clinic, so type that in and you'll find the job posting there. Last but not least, join Watertown Animal Hospital, personable, small animal veterinarian wanted for well-established current five-doctor mixed animal practice in northern New York, which is an outdoors person's paradise. Again, two of those. So if you like the outdoors, you can look at Vermont or New York. They have plenty of support staff with six CSRs, six licensed technicians, four animal caretakers, two technical assistants, hospital associate, or sorry, hospital assistant, a practice manager, and a bookkeeper. Focuses on mentorship and investment on the people and the technology. That's been a strategic initiative by the leadership team. No on-call, 24-hour ER, less than an hour away. Salary based on experience, but no less than 95,000. Can be straight salary, pro-sal considered. Want to discuss that with the right person. Tons of benefits. Again, too much to list. Please reach out to watertownpetcare.com for that option as well. So again, if you find a role or a job or talk to anyone and it helps you in any way, I would love to hear that feedback. So please reach out. Let me know what you're able to do. And I will continue to post these. So if you are an owner, reach out to me, let me know. And we'll go from there. And until I hit a capacity of I can't keep recording these, I want to let people know who are high quality owners around the country looking for great help. So with that, we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should talk to your professional team before implementing anything. If you want or need financial advice, my day job on Not Podcasting is helping veterinarians grow their net worth. Our team is taking new clients and we are ready to talk to you at any stage of life. Come as you are. I always say bring the mess, right? Like if things are unorganized, that's okay. There's no prerequisites to become a client. Isaiah Douglas is a partner at Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is a registered investment advisor registered with the SEC. The biggest compliment you can give me in the podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcast is the platform that is predominantly used for people listening to the show. If you have three minutes, love the show, head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review. It helps more people find the show. Also, the new YouTube channel is up, and I'd love to have you subscribe. Vainly, I want 100 subscribers at least. Lots more, obviously, right? But I get a vanity URL if we get to 100. That would be great. It makes it easier to find the YouTube channel as well. For all of today's links information, head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe to your favorite podcasting platform. It'll be a link to that YouTube channel I just talked about. You won't miss any other episodes. Whether you list on Spotify, whether you have some other ancillary podcast platform, please like, subscribe, all that stuff. It certainly does help. I appreciate it. Finally, if you want more information, insights, want your voice to be heard, want to share ideas for content, say, hey, Isaiah, I want you to have this guest. I want you to talk about this topic. Go over to the Facebook group. So you can search for the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll to the bottom about your host, click on the Facebook icon, and that'll get you in the group. But thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to me to be able to see the podcast grow and continue to impact people. So with that, until next time, we'll chat soon.